Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, emergency management, COVID-19, resilience, anything that's relatable to those topics. Speaking of topics, if there is something you want us to talk about or you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. Go to the Voice America webpage uh, for the show, <clears throat> voiceamerica.com, Preparing for the Unexpected, there is a uh, button underneath the graphic that allows you to send uh, the host an email. Me, I do respond to everything. Uh, so please feel free, send me a note. If you want to advertise a service or product, I can get you some information on that too. You can reach me the same way. Or if you're watching the video, you leave a comment and I can reach out to you that way. And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road for sponsoring today's episode and their product, BoastAssessment.com, that allows you to do a self-assessment on your program and align your resources uh, appropriately. Now, for anyone who's listened to the show and for first-time viewers, because this is the very first radio show we're actually uh, video recording, so uh, my guest, uh, you know, in case you didn't know that, uh, you know, just so you're aware, uh, James, <laughs> you're the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, it. I like being the guinea pig. Thank you. <laughs> uh, many uh, of you will know that uh, I talked about the Continuity and Resilience Today conference I was speaking at in Toronto. That was early October. Calendar's up there. Yeah, early October. And uh, as last year and the year before, we usually try and get some of those speakers on the show to talk about what uh, they had uh, to present at the conference. And today um, is one of those speakers, but it's actually a speaker who's familiar with the show because he's been here, I think, three times? Three times? Uh, a couple of times. A couple of <clears> times. <throat> yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, I'd like to welcome back to the show who needs no introduction if you recognize the voice or you've seen, seen him before. I'd like to welcome James Green. James, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, the first time you and I spoke last year, we spoke about what turned out to be the relatively calm topic of climate change. Yeah. Right? And that was before 2020. So it's been, a, it's been, a, it's been you and I have had a heck, a heck of a ride this year, for sure, definitely. Oh, who hasn't? You know, I think yeah. everybody's had a heck of a ride. Yep. You know, and uh, just so everybody's aware, uh, I'm actually, well, James knows too, that uh, I'll be speaking with him, I think, Two more times over the next uh, two weeks, I think. Yep. Uh, so you're, you're, you know, you're going to become a regular here. Looking, you know? uh, looking forward to it. I hope I pass the audition. Would love to be a regular contributor. Absolutely. Oh, you're probably better at this than I am. So because people don't usually <laughs> see me. So. <laughs> so we'll see where it goes. <laughs> um, now, your topic at CRT, it was, um, what was it, removing the... Oh, no, conquering the top five uh, BCM roadblocks, right? Yes, I had wanted to talk in person about the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning, but uh, sadly, yeah, a little team here in Tampa, 
your Stanley Cup champions, Tampa Bay Lightning. What's that, uh, Toronto but- Maple Leafs? What? <laughs> exactly i was all excited to be decked out in lightning paraphernalia in toronto i thought that would go over over really well but alas uh instead virtually at continuity and resilience today we talked about the top five bcm roadblocks and before everyone cringes please don't stop listening please don't turn off the video i know a lot of times when you see uh, a topic about top five, this, that, or the other. Is it just a listicle? Is it just my sneaky way to talk about how I work for a vendor? And no, right? So I wanted to actually do something meaningful on this topic. But uh, as you know, these types of titles tend to draw attention, tend to get accepted in the conferences. So yeah, let's let's dig in and let's talk about maybe a non-traditional top five roadblocks. We're not going to talk about how to do our BIAs or our plans. Those aren't really what we see as roadblocks to our uh, programs. Well, like you just said, uh, you know, BIA, we're not going to talk about it, but they come with their own roadblocks anyway. Correct. Absolutely. They do. Yep. You know, and testing and all the other different components of of a program. So let's, let's jump straight into it because uh, I've got your uh, presentation open here. And uh, the first one is, um, it, it, it seems to be a play on getting buy-in, but I like the way you've kind of got it written here. Getting management's attention, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I take this one to heart. Uh, as I said, I am based in Tampa, Florida, right? And when you are a, a Florida-based business continuity practitioner, you tend to not get management's attention 360 days a year. The five days a year you can get management's attention are when a hurricane is in the Gulf of Mexico or, or in the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, funny enough, we actually had, we were impacted by a hurricane two days ago, right? Hurricane Ada, the, the you know, yeah. the 29th named storm, I think, in the Atlantic, a new wow. record because we want to have more interesting things happen in 2020. So prior to this year, yeah, one of those biggest roadblocks was, hey, how do I get management's attention? And as you know, for better or for worse right now, if you can't get management's attention during a global pandemic, right, during widespread civil unrest, during a hurricane, during wildfires, during, you know, pick your doomsday scenario, I think you're doing something wrong. So uh, a lot of times when I work with companies, it's that first step of, hey, how do you get management's attention? And that has not been the case this year, right? You have a spotlight on you, like I seem to right now, whether you want it or not. Like, I think we are all as professionals under the microscope, uh, good and bad in a way we never have been. Mm -hmm. So I think we're, like I said, the one good thing coming out of 2020, if you were one of those people who's like, hey, how do I get management's attention? How do I get management to understand that my continuity and resilience program is important? I don't think you have to have those conversations anymore. Well, Actually, that's interesting because I know you've written about this too. Um, and I think that we're probably going to be touching on something we might be talking about later on is 
on LinkedIn, there's been a lot of people <clears throat> saying in the industry that, you know, their role in business continuity is, um, shall we say, um, not as required as it used to be. And, and is that because maybe the COVID pandemic didn't really start off as kind of a big disaster? It kind of crept up on us a little bit, you know, with HR being involved and emergency management being involved and, you know, there were no facility fires. There were no uh, technology failures and things like that. Oh, uh, yeah. So you want to go right to the conf- controversial subject. <laughs> well, it, that's yeah. the one we're going to talk about later, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's okay. talk about uh, the most. I've never gotten hate mail in this profession, but I did get it when we get to topic three. But, yeah, there's certainly uh, a been, I think, a lot of discussion in our industry about what happened, who led response, right? Were we a part of that or not? It's been a very big uh, topic. And as I found out, a very controversial topic, mm-hmm. but it's certainly, it's certainly relevant to what now, we're doing today. And to everyone who's listening and watching, we are actually going to be recording a different show on that subject. So I'm just going to leave that comment there because we're going to yep. dig a lot deeper in a future show. Now, with, with getting management's attention, why is it that something has to happen before we get their attention? Wow, I think that's a societal question. Why is it that um, we don't eat healthier? Why is it that we don't work out and stretch and exercise the way we should, or we don't save for our retirement or the way we should? I think it's just kind of human nature. Um, You know, I would think one of the biggest struggles I've seen working with organizations prior to this year is if they had never experienced any type of BC DR cyber crisis incident and we're like, hey, here's why you want to build resilience into your operations. And it wasn't, you know, a sales pitch. It was just, you know, I believe you believe these things are important, right? And for those companies, I had one company last year say, look, James, this seems, you know, everything you say seems really well thought out. We've been in business a hundred years. And nothing's ever happened here. So why would we devote time and energy and resources into continuity, into resilience? What's the ROI? So uh, a lot of organizations that have been fortunate to always operate under blue sky just maybe couldn't wrap their head around something will happen. Something Mm -hmm. always happens. And now this year, I do not know, and uh, if your listeners know, I'd love for them to share with you, I do not know an organization that hasn't been impacted in some way this year. And so now, now people, now management understands, oh, now a lot of companies have come to us who maybe didn't want to, you know, patted us on the head last year, right? Or like, oh, now we're in trouble. Or now uh, I had to disperse my workforce for the first time ever, or I'm classified as essential, or I'm retail. How do I, now they get it, right? Because we've gone from a theoretical to an actual. So yeah, I would love to hear if there's somebody who hasn't been impacted at all, positively or negatively, you know, send, send in some email, 
comment, yeah. I'd love to, cause I, I haven't found one and that's not out of arrogance. That's just like, Hey, I want to know if there's someone who's like, no, 2020 is the same as 2019. What are you talking about? Um, yeah. So I, I'd have a difficult time believing anyone who said they weren't <laughs> impacted because exactly. It, even if they had a remote workforce in existence already, they would still be impacted from suppliers and other people they would be dealing with, you know, that, that somewhere, somehow they would have to have felt, felt something. Correct. You know, well, once you've got their attention, how do you keep it? Yeah. And that it, is because, you know, th- fires go out, you, you rebuild uh, buildings, you, um, you know, COVID hopefully fingers crossed will eventually, you know, be taken care of and go away, even though it's, looks like it's not going to be for a while, but hopefully at some point it will. So how do you keep their attention so that, well, we dealt with it. So now we know what to do and they just walk away again. Exactly. And that is now that we have that attention, how do we keep it is, is so vital. So off screen, I'm looking at a word art that I had sent you as well that you're probably looking at. Right. And we did a webinar a couple of months ago, and as people were logging in, we just asked them a question. What is one word you would use to describe your experience with responding to COVID-19? And we created a, uh, a word out, a word art out of the responses. And so the more people use the same response, it grows. You see those words bigger, right in the middle, challenge, unprecedented, you know, resilience, hmm. stressed, all the words you would think of seeing. But there's a lot of words I don't see there. I don't see any positive words. I don't see opportunity, right? I don't see mm-hmm. improvement. Um, and the, the word opportunity really struck me because I think a big roadblock to keeping management's attention is quite often people see business continuity as a project, right? We're going to have a start date. We're going to have a kickoff. We're going to do our risk assessments, BIAs, and plans. We have an end date, and then we're permanently resilient. And right. a lot of companies that I work with, they're like, yeah, we had somebody come in a couple of years ago and do all of this for us. But that's not business continuity. Business continuity isn't linear, mm-hmm. right? To me, business continuity is a cycle, And successful business continuity is not a project, it's a program. And I can tell... Is is it a project project the first time you go through it before it becomes... Yeah. uh, I I hesitate to use business as usual, but most projects, when you implement something, becomes business as usual. So I'll use that analogy. So it's the first time you go through it, a project, then it graduates to... A full mature program, hopefully. Yeah, and I think that's really where companies struggle is they assign a project manager, they assign resources, they do that first 12 months. Let's say they do everything, right? They do risk assessments, they do BIAs, they do SOPs, they do plans, they do tests, they do exercise, they do the whole wheel. And then it's really hard culturally for companies to say, now we got to do it again. Now we got to expand. Maybe we just started with things that are uh, at the top level. Now we got to go deeper. We got to go wider. We got to go deeper. We got to go wider. And I think right now we have that opportunity as professionals to talk to management. You know, it's, it's uh, right now you and I are recording this. It's November. 
a lot of companies in, um, in Asia, this is month 11 for them. In the US and Canada, this is month eight. And when do you think it's going to end? Next summer, next spring? You've got a 14, 16, 18 month business continuity event. It's, it's a great uh, reason to show people why a project needs to be a program. You have that attention. Let's keep it by keeping management involved. And I think that's the other dangerous thing about project management. Uh, you're the executive sponsor, right? And you tell me, here's the money. Here's the, I cut the check. Here's your resources for the project. And then I'm done. But that's really dangerous because me as the BC guy, the business continuity manager, I can't own risk, right? I need management to own risk. It's my job to present. uh, I feel it's my job to present to management. Here's the, here's what's going on here. And here's recommendations that, that uh, I'm proposing, but I really think management needs to decide, okay, we as a company are now going to mitigate this risk, transfer this risk, or ignore this risk. But I think a lot of times business continuity managers feel they own risk, but without resources, how can you successfully own anything, right? If you're an independent uh, individual contributor, independent contributor, how do you own risk for a huge organization? So one way I really am a fan of keeping management's attention, keep them involved, right? Keeping them involved. And I'm going to, we've come to the end of our first segment for our radio listeners. So we've got to take a, uh, about a 10, 10, 15 second break, but I'm going to come back and ask you that, uh, you know, when that happens, how do we keep them involved as we go along? So we're going to take a break. We're talking with James Green once again. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And we are back. For our radio listeners, our video listeners, I'm sure that looks a little weird, but because uh, <laughs> we're still here. Maybe I'll figure out how to edit that little piece out in the video part. <laughs> but our radio <laughs> listeners, we're back. We're talking with James Green. James, uh, just before we went away after the first segment, we, we've got, you, you made some great points there about, uh, you know, management owning risk. How do we keep them involved going forward so that they understand that and they don't do, and you, you did it perfectly by just, you know, doing the Pontius Pilate thing there, you know, you know, uh, uh, thinking that someone else is now going to take that risk and manage everything going forward. How do you keep them on board so that they understand that, no, that isn't the way it has to be. You know, you have to be involved ongoing throughout this. So I am a big proponent of executive management as the business continuity steering committee. And the reason I'm proponent of that is I've, I've been a business continuity practitioner myself. I have been an individual contributor or small team leader myself, and it's been successful for me. So I have found by um, having your management as your steering committee, you keep them involved. Now, that being said, there's a lot of pitfalls with steering committees. I see these go wrong all the time. I sat in on one yesterday that was a train wreck. <laughs> so it's not a easy button management's the steering committee, boom, management owns risk, right? You have to, as the business continuity practitioner, manage the steering committee itself, Mm -hmm. right? And so that takes a lot of time and effort. And I'm happy to share with you a few common mistakes that I see over and over and over again, if you'd like. Well, sure. Why not take the time to do that? I'll I'll share. I've worked with um, executives on steering committees as well. And all but one uh, reported to the C-suite. Okay. And um, it certainly made it a lot easier for uh, decision-making, you know, and getting things done and assigning resources when it was all the top people. And the nice thing is this place had put insuring uh, business, I can't remember their exact wording, but uh, putting business continuity and the continuance of operations uh, as part of their performance. So they were all, all had buy-in and contributed, you know, and came up with ideas on their own, you know, and we met every month. And when, you know, got at some point we went uh, bi-monthly, you know, um, but uh, that made a difference. 
Absolutely. That's so important. And, you know, you touched on something earlier. The very first thing I see go wrong is, does the steering committee have decision-making authority day to day, right? So if I present, you and I present a risk to a company and we say, it's going to cost $5,000 to mitigate this risk. And the group says, well, we don't have authority to do that. Then you've got the wrong people in the room. Yeah. Right. If really, if we really want that steering committee as management to own risk, they have to be able to do something about it. Right. They have to have some approval authority or day to day. They have to be people who make decisions. So that's the first thing I see that uh, is is a big problem. The second thing is, and you can ask any of my former employers this, because this is something uh, you heard the, t- the term, you know, are you going to die on this hill? And the second thing is a hill that I will die on. So we form our steering committee. Let's say you're the COO on the CFO and you say, nah, I want to send a delegate, right? And so what happens is I see that you sent a delegate. So then the next meeting, I send a delegate. So then the next meeting, everyone sends a delegate. And now you're back to non-decision makers. So I get really cranky about people wanting to send delegates. I'll reschedule the meeting. Like you have to be there. Decision makers have to be there. And this is why things, you get a room full of non-decision makers. So that is a hill I will die on. I have died on that hill. Uh, myself with clients. So it's not just me speaking academically. I got a room full of people who can't even order lunch and I'm, they're making risk decisions. It's not going to work. I I would die on that hill with you because I've been in uh, status meetings for large programs and and projects where we need uh, decisions on major changes to scope and schedule and finance and you know and exactly procedures and all that and the decision maker doesn't show up or sends a delegate who can't make it well we'll get back to you on that it's like well we can't we need that decision now you know that's why we're bringing it to you now that's why we gave you the heads up for the last two weeks that this was coming that this was the point to make the decision so if they're not here they've now impacted us you know yep and that kind of leads to, to my next thing. So why do executives send delegates in the first place? When meetings are boring or when they're a waste of time? So the steering committee meeting I sat in on yesterday for an organization was frankly a waste of time. If you're going to spend 35 minutes showing which plans are completed, which BIAs are updated. Executives don't understand what that means in terms of how does this impact the business, Mm -hmm. right? You should be giving that kind of technical information to a steering committee, but maybe as a pre-read. If I have time with my executive team, I want them to be making strategic decisions only. Right. And I think what happens with so many of us is is because we spend all of our time or a lot of our time doing risk assessments and BIAs and plans, that's what we want to talk about. But this executive team uh, yesterday, you could clearly tell that is not what they wanted to talk about. Spending all the time saying 
we have 99% of our plans completed, but there's one plan in this one division that we can't get a response. Is that something your executive team should be discussing? I would argue no. And I would argue it's that kind of thing when an executive sees, I don't need to be in this meeting. Right. So we really need to make sure those steering committee meetings are strategic and more importantly, everything we're talking about, how does this affect the business? Meaning why should I, as the COO care, right? We got to always tie back the risk to not just the risk itself, the risk for the sake of risk, but what is the risk that actually impacts the business? right? We need to talk about, hey, we're not getting traction in our vendor risk management program. 70% of our revenue comes through this one third-party supplier. Now I, as a non-BC person, understand, wow, I don't want to lose 70% of our revenue. That's a big problem. Yeah. So we've got to keep it at the strategic level, and we've got to always tie back to how does this impact the business? And like I said, sometimes I think we're just measuring risk for the sake of risk. Here's the percentage of BIAs updated in the last six months. Those are all important metrics. I'm not saying they're not. But what I am saying is if you only have 30, 45 minutes with a C-suite, you better keep their attention or you won't see them the next meeting. Yeah, if you're lucky. You know, I I know I've had mostly uh, 15, 20 minutes, you know, throughout my history. That's the most you can get. You mentioned, um, you brought up an interesting point here. You know, some of the things that we're all always saying, you know, we've got 99 out of 100 BCPs done as an example and did all these BIAs. Are we doing that subconsciously because we're always fighting for executive buy-in and we've been trained that to do and have all this stuff is the way to, an older way of showing value. Look, look how much we've done. You know, so we, we uh, you know, communicate this way to executives to show, look at what we've done, look how valuable we are. You know, have we kind of set ourselves up in, in that way? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that segues right into the third roadblock of relevance. Back to that again. <laughs> uh, uh, let's get back to my hate mail. But no, but it's a valid question. Are we relevant to the business? And Mm -hmm. every business unit has to answer that question. Uh, And risk management historically has not. But then I think that's how you get marginalized. And it's not just business continuity, right? I think certainly COVID-19 has brought this to the forefront. Um, And I'll touch on that in a second. But I'm thinking about the, the International Institute of Auditors recently revised there are three lines of defense, right? Your classic three lines of defense, management, risk, audit. And they even realized audit was meant to be separate, but it's become isolated, which means it's not relevant. And I think we've seen that in a lot of risk management. And like you said, we're trying to fight for respect. We're trying to show value. And maybe historically, we've shown that value by the exercises we've done, the the failover test, the risk assessments, the BIAs, the plans. But what happened this year? 
which mm-hmm. company used that mechanism. I have a client who um, last year they were getting ready for ISO certification in BC and their pre-audit they passed with flying colors, right? And they've passed all their regulatory audits and they've always passed internal and external audits and they're feeling very confident about their risk management program. And their CEO told me, hey, you know what? In March, we threw it all in the trash. It's not actionable. It didn't meet the needs of the business. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is how you show relevance no matter what you do. What's the return on investment for the business? How are you relevant? Whether you're the environmental health and safety manager, the business continuity manager, the payroll manager, pick a function. Are you relevant to the business? This has been most organizations' time of need. And I don't think we answered the bell as well as we should have. And you and I are going to take a massive deep dive into this in in the next episode. And I'll have to go into witness protection Um, (laughs) because I did. I'm very passionate about this. I spoke out about it, how I felt things were going. And I got a ton of hate mail. And as a business continuity guy, I was like, I've never even gotten fan mail, let alone hate mail. So this is kind of fun. (laughs) But it turned out to be a very controversial subject and it's not meant to be, see, I told you so. I'm a BC professional too. It hurt me to see so many people in our profession get downsized, get laid off. Mm-hmm. And that's really what got me thinking. I'm like, well, the fire department doesn't lay off people when there's a five alarm fire. How, mm-hmm. how are we seeing so many people get marginalized, get downsized, get made redundant, get pushed aside in our profession during a business continuity uh, incident. That hurt me personally. So I spent some time thinking about that and it came back to this topic of relevance. Are we relevant? And I'm not talking about uh, before I get more hate mail, right? (laughs) If you look at the United States Airlines, their business was down 90%. I know a lot of people at Delta and American United who lost their jobs. When your revenue goes down 90%, you have to make cuts, right? My household income went down 90%. Some things have to change. So I'm not talking about airlines, cruise lines, hotels, industries that were catastrophically impacted. But what I'm talking about is companies who got clipped 10, 15% income or revenue. Why weren't they hiring more? Mm -hmm. Like, do you know any organizations that in a down economy were expanding their risk management, their business continuity departments? I don't, I know two. Um, And I think it's, we're, we're not showing relevance in the way that we need to. Uh, I, I think so too. You know, I, I know personally, I, I can, you know, I'm pretty honest here. I've run into the trap of, um, especially, you know, in earlier days, you know, look how many plans we've done, look how many things we've done, you know, I, I've yeah, me that. too. and I've, I've fallen into the trap too of, um, addressing audit, you know, rather than the corporate need. Well, because that's often how our jobs get created. Mm-hmm. right? I get brought into clients quite often because they're like, we failed to BC audit. 
I got brought into my last company because they failed the BC audit and the board said you will remediate these audit issues by the end of the year. So that's certainly, I'm not saying we should just ignore audit. Um, but to your point, that that's the starting point. That also can't be the end point. Yeah. Just passing audit is check the box mentality. <clears throat> and maybe for some companies that's good enough, but then that explains why during an incident, they're like, well, we don't. They're floundering. You know, we, yeah. yeah. So we don't need you. Yeah. And on that, we've come to the end of our second segment. We're talking with James Green uh, today. And for our video listeners, it's going to look a little weird, but we're going to take a break for about 10, 15 seconds and we'll be right back. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Inglehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey Alexa! Hey Google! Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. James, let's move on because I know we... Our, our next show is going to be really interesting because it seems like we both really just want to jump in on that. Yes, I'm glad we're doing. Thank you for giving me uh, a whole a whole show to really get in trouble with that one. Yeah, and everyone who's listening and watching, it's one you don't want to miss because it's there's a lot of really good uh, things to talk about on it. You know, um, our re BCM relevance, you know, and our roles. Um, so let's move to another roadblock in your article in our last segment. We've got uh, 16 minutes, or just shy of, I guess. Okay. Um, I think the next one is uh, continuity. Or resilience. Yes, my second most controversial oh, topic. Uh, I I'm know you get all were. Here. <laughs> just said it. 
I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn, James Green. Leave him alone. Um, <laughs> yeah, so really quick, you, know, you and I were at BCI World last week. Uh, Brian Zawada and, and John Azarine were talking about continuity of resilience. The chat box was melting down with angry uh, commentary. I was like, wow, this is, this is like a TV show. I've never seen this. But I am a proponent of this resilience it's not a marketing thing. It's not a buzzword. I'm not trying to sell you something, but I think it comes really, it ties in a lot of the things that you and I have talked about over this show, right? What's the delineation? <clears throat> For me, resilience is strategic, not mm -hmm. just tactical. So a lot of those challenges and failures that we've talked about and we've seen this year, they weren't strategic. I don't know a company that said, you know, we made bad strategic BC decisions. I think they made bad tactical ones. Um, for me, resilience, where we get hung up on continuity, we tend to mitigate the last known risk, right? I guarantee everyone will have the most beautiful pandemic response plans for the next 18 months. Whenever we get hit by a hurricane here, these hurricane response plans are the most amazing orchestration plans I've ever seen. But the problem is by looking backwards, we're guaranteed to stumble for the next unknown. And I'm not saying that companies should have masterfully managed a global pandemic. That's ridiculous. But when we're always looking backwards, that next bump in the night happens, we stumble. And for me, resilience is looking forward. We know there's going to be a bump in the night. We don't know exactly what it is, but we have the capability that the first 30% of our response is good regardless of the topic. So for me, resilience much more uh, forward-looking. And then resilience needs to be integrated, right? You talk about integrated risk management versus GRC. We'll start another war but really what I'm finding talking to companies and those C-levels and the reason they send delegates, you know, they're like, look, I'm on the Enterprise Risk Management Committee, the Vendor Risk Management Committee, the Business Continuity Steering Committee, the Crisis Management Team, the Cybersecurity Incident Response Team. I can't. I can't do all of that. I don't mm -hmm. have bandwidth as an executive, even if I'm an executive who's invested in this process and risk management. Asking an executive to sit on five committees four times a year not going to happen. And, you know, COVID again really got me thinking about this integrated strategy, because if you look at COVID-19 across the year, a lot of companies, this started as a supply chain issue in Wuhan, in China, in Northern Italy, became a vendor risk management issue, became a pandemic for all of us, became business continuity as 60% of the world was working from home. It's now for a lot of companies, a data privacy and cybersecurity issue. You're seeing malware and ransomware and phishing through the roof right now. And yeah. for a lot of companies who are returning to work or who are, have been essential, it's an environmental health and safety issue. So how do you manage through six different types of risk management? For me, resilience has really got to be integrated you know, a more holistic enterprise level approach. A any suggestions on how to go about doing that? Let's say I was somebody who uh, 
an executive who is expected to be on all these different committees and I want to embed resilience into my organization. How can I go about, you know, some initial uh, steps to get towards that? I think a lot of companies have, you know, duplication of efforts and they should first focus Mm. on enterprise response. So knowing the tactical response to malware versus the tactical response to a shooter versus the tactical response to a building fire are all completely different. The strategic response should have a lot of similarities. Crisis communications should be the same apparatus, right? Your decision makers should be all similar. Why do we have, oh, the marketing team responds to malware, but HR responds to a fire, but we use a PR firm for a tornado, like just looking at crisis communications, that's very convoluted. It it should be the same. Crisis communications should be crisis communications should be crisis communications regardless of the crisis. So for a lot of companies, to me, that's the first way they can easily start to become more resilient to have an enterprise look is that communication piece should be the same machine i think is that because um some of some organizations and i still know people who do this <clears throat> think along the lines of uh, scenario based planning you know yeah. where you know they come up with a thousand different scenarios and they've got a different approach and different team for every single scenario yeah it doesn't scale <clears throat> and that's a great way to get your management to check out because they can't be on top of 20 scenarios. And then the biggest problem is what happens when you have a pandemic? What happens when you have something you haven't had before? Where's the scenario? That's why I'm kind of an all hazards guy, because just like you, when I started, I was plan specific, scenario specific. And then my company uh, had a large site in Cairo, Egypt, and the government collapsed. I didn't have a binder for government collapse. And so it got me thinking about, okay, there's got to be a more effective way to manage through the unknown. And certainly just what we've seen, it just seems there's more and more unknown. Well, we've, we're already halfway through the, our last segment. So let's get to number five roadblock. All right, really quick. So uh, personal resilience. So, you know, let's, let's just jump right in and throw it on the table. Let's talk about mental health. Let's talk about the mental health of us as professionals. You've managed through incidents. I've managed through incidents. Your viewers and listeners have managed through incidents. They're, they're days, maybe a week. Maybe you have an outlier. Maybe you help respond to Katrina. It was months. But we're used to during that time, we're spun up, it's 24-7, you're, you're overwhelmed, everybody wants everything right now, but then it ends. And so what we're seeing now, like we've talked about, this isn't ending. And I'm seeing people burn out in levels they never have before. You're seeing people not take vacation time. You're seeing people on their phone 24-7, work home, like now I'm at work, now I'm at home, now I'm at work. And it's leading to burnout. And what happens with burnout, you know, our mental health suffers. We make mistakes. Our morale goes down. Our physical health 
goes down. So the fifth roadblock for me right now this year is per, how are we personally resilient? You know, check in on a colleague. If, you, if your company has an EAP and you need to talk to someone, use it. If your company doesn't have an EAP, there's a lot of organizations like the Red Cross and all these other organizations that have crisis response counselors, right, that are willing to talk. Uh, I'm taking some time off in December, even though I'm not going anywhere. I was like, I haven't unplugged all year. So I'm going to unplug from work. And I think it's, it's a thing we neglect during an incident. Uh, and we can because, okay, back to a few days, we're back to normal. But I'm starting to see people burn out. And, um, you know, a lot of people think January 1, the clock's going to turn and we're magically, everything's back to normal. But yeah. the world is showing us, you know, Australia just came out of a second lockdown. Parts of Europe are going into second lockdown. The numbers in the United States, everything is indicating that the, the world is not going to care if it's December or January. And so I really think we need to take some time and focus on our mental health, our emotional health, make sure we're more personally uh, resilient because we have another long push ahead of us. Uh, we do, uh, most definitely. And, and I think part of that <clears throat> is really going to uh, put even greater stress on uh, frontline workers and, you know, people that, you know, even truck drivers. You know, I know people sometimes forget that, you know, they're the ones bringing the produce. They're the ones bringing all the, the stuff to the grocery stores and our grocery yeah. store workers. You know, <clears throat> it's tough for them because they're working under different, um, they don't get the luxury of working from home. Let's put it that way. Correct. You exactly. Know, they're right in the face of uh, a, a situation they can't see, a disaster they can't see, but could be right in front of them. You know, so their nerves and, uh, you know, their well-being is going to be impacted because they're going to be taking that home too. Yeah. Meanwhile, the person at home, you know, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, you know, whatever the case may be, could be sitting there stressed as well yeah. because they don't get to interact with anybody. There's no water cooler time anymore. You know, they're, yeah, they're, we're certainly seeing. balance seems to have started to disappear for everybody. Yeah, and for a lot of people, you're seeing social distancing become social isolation. Mm -hmm. And for those in your audience who are in the Northern Hemisphere, as we head into winter, right, that's traditionally a, a time of difficulty for a lot of people in the best of scenarios. And now we're going to head into that where people are already frazzled, like you said, where you're already carrying that that stress and that burden. And now we're going to a time of the year where there's not as much sunlight except for me today, apparently, and it's colder and darker. And then that just kind of affects us as a cycle generally. Well, that, that's got me thinking of what will happen in February because yeah. February they say is the, the, the one time of year where people are just affected naturally because yes. of gray skies and cold weather or you know, winter, no leaves on the trees, that kind of thing. And if we're, well, we will still be, I won't say if we are, we will still be feeling um, the impacts of COVID. I, I'm a little uh, worried for quite a few people when that time frame gets here. Exactly. Absolutely. 
you know, believe it or not, we only have three minutes left. Would you, would you <laughs> believe? See, talking with you, it just goes by so fast. I don't I, believe it. So. I don't even know if we touched everything we were going to talk about, but <laughs> that's okay. So, uh, do you have? We'll t- take two minutes. You know, do you have any final thoughts on uh, roadblocks? So, you and I have spent forty-five minutes talking about roadblocks, and they're all viewed as negatives, right? But I think identifying those roadblocks, identifying what those challenges are, you are able to identify what the opportunities are. I think coming out of twenty twenty. As a profession, we have more opportunity than we ever had before. You've got management's attention. We're seeing companies throw resources at continuity and risk in ways they never have before. Um, With a lot of people being displaced, there's a lot of amazing people right now looking for a new home where traditionally you could not afford to get someone or they weren't willing to leave where they were, there's Mm -hmm. a huge disruption in our profession right now, which means there are so many amazing people um, that are looking for work. You have companies now more willing to hire remote workers than ever before. So maybe, you know, I, you're in Vancouver and I'm in Toronto, so I wouldn't hire you, but now do you have a camera? Who cares? Yeah, yeah that's so true. Yeah. I think it's it's creating a, a ton of opportunity for us as a profession, you know, of of keeping management's attention of a talent pool as wide and deep as I've ever seen, and being more mindful now of what is it that management's looking for. I think we really have an opportunity to drive the narrative of our profession in maybe a way we haven't had uh, in quite a long time. We, we have that opportunity to really develop our value and show our value, you know, rethink the way we're doing it. Exactly. You know, like if, if industries didn't rethink the way they, they did things, we'd all be driving uh, Ford Model Ts. Right? Yeah. Some days I might not be a bad thing. Just give me a horse. <laughs> Just take a horse. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've come to the end uh, again, James, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and I'm looking forward to our, our next couple uh, of chats, especially our, our third roadblock, which you, we hinted at, we tried to stay away from, but it was kind of difficult, but I'm looking forward to that chat. So thanks again for sharing your expertise and time. And I look forward to chatting with you once again. Thank you so much. And to everybody else uh, listening and watching, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.